Father, thank you for this time of gathering and worshiping you. And now as we come to your word, we continue to worship. We hand you our hearts. We open them wide to you. Speak, Lord, we are your servants. We hear. Give us grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit, make us doers of the word and not just hearers deceiving ourselves. Help us, we pray, that we will be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, for we ask in the name of Christ, amen, amen. Oh, by the way, I should have mentioned to you, why is Pastor Jason not up here leading us in worship today? He's not away. He's downstairs teaching downstairs doctrine in both hours this morning. So we gave him a day off of being up here, a day, an opportunity to teach. So that's why he's not here. And also, you'll notice later, Pastor Stan is not doing communion. I am. Why is that? Because he and Jackie are away. I don't know if you all know this, but he's retired now. He just retired. If he was here, we should all applaud, right? He just retired a couple weeks ago, and he is a retired man now. So they're going off somewhere. I don't know where they are celebrating that. And um, so I'm the communion guy today, too. So a few changes up front. That's the explanation. That's why. Now, we're into Deuteronomy chapter 4. So far, we've been in Deuteronomy chapter 1 for a number of messages. Now we're headed out into the rest of the book. A whole lot of stuff is just established and laid down in chapter 1. We got that all put in place. Now we're ready to go. And we're flying right over some chapters because it's the book of Deuteronomy. It's 34 chapters. We're not going verse by verse through every one of them. It would be till Jesus comes, right? And so instead, we're going to fly over and land here and there. And we're landing in Deuteronomy chapter 4 today. And what you saw was basically... Uh, Moses saying to the people, there's the land, go take it, and here's the law, go keep it. That's pretty much a summary of a whole lot of what's in the book of Deuteronomy. There's the land, go and take it. Here's the law, when you get there, keep it. And so uh, this brings us now to parts of the book of Deuteronomy where there's a lot of law giving. You know, Deuteronomy means the second law giving, or the law given a second time here. And so there's going to be a lot of law, 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 law. And I don't want to preach a whole lot of just law, 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 law. You'll thank me for that, right? You okay with that? You'd rather hear about grace, rather hear about the cross, rather hear about Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm with you on that. I don't want 42 weeks of just law and more law and more law although it would be profitable. But what we're going to do today then is we're going to come to, this brings us to the topic of law and grace. There it is, law and grace. We're thinking about, we're developing our theology of law and grace. So there's laws and laws and more laws in the book of Deuteronomy. What relationship do those laws have to me, a new covenant believer, a follower of the Lord Jesus, saved by his shed blood on Calvary's cross? Like, what, what does that have to do with me, all these laws? What are we supposed to think of when we read all of those commands? And so what we're going to do today is I get to be like professor, and you get to be like students, and I'm just warning you up front, uh, this is more theological. There are literally more Scripture verses in this sermon than I think any sermon I have ever preached. It's probably more verses than me just talking. It's me just reading. So I'm going to put them all up there so you don't have to turn and turn and turn and turn. And what we're doing here is you're the students. I'm the professor. I get to be Professor Steve today. And we're doing a systematic theology of the place of the law in the life of a new covenant believer. So it's law and grace. We're doing a theology. And I hope you all stay with me. Every now and then I'm going to ask you, are you still with me? And I'm going to have you answer audibly, I think, probably. We're with you or something, just to help you stay along, all right? 
So more Bible verses per square inch than any other time. So here's where we're starting in our theology of law and grace so we can understand what's all this in Deuteronomy, all these laws, there's the land, go take it. And when you're there, here's the commands, keep them. What do all those commands have to do with me? So let's start with number one. I think this would be a good foundational point as we're learning what the Bible says about God's law and me, God's law and you. Let's lay it down. Let's establish it. Number one, God's law is holy, righteous, good, spiritual, and perfect. It's even more than that, but I thought I had to end the list somewhere. But it is called every one of those things by one New Testament author or another. Let me show you, for example, let's drop in at Romans 7.12. And Paul writes a concluding statement, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So you see the, the phrase I just gave you before that verse comes right out of, most of it comes right out of Romans chapter 7. What are we to make of all these laws in the book of Deuteronomy? Are they somehow bad? Is, is the law like a bad thing? Was it a bad idea? There were, used to be some theologians who uh, were part of a school of thought, and they taught that the law was a bad idea, and Israel should have rejected it and said, no, we want grace. <laughs> is it that bad? Should they have rejected the law? No, the law, Paul tells us, is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So if you're reading through Deuteronomy, every time you come up, up against the command, you need to think to yourself, all right, that's holy, that's righteous, and that's good. But I also said that spiritual, where do we get that? A couple of verses later, Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. So God's law is holy, it is righteous, it is good, and it is spiritual. So you shouldn't think, oh, that's the law, that's carnal. That's the law, that's bad. That's the law, that was a bad deal. Israel should have said, no, God, please don't give us the law. No, actually, the Apostle Paul tells us right here in the New Testament, the law is actually spiritual. It's a thing that deals with your spirit. It's a thing that deals with your soul. And the problem was not that there's something wrong with the law. The problem is there's something wrong with me. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. That's where the law and its usefulness breaks down. I also said in my opening statement there that the law is perfect. Where do you get that? Well, Psalm 19, verse 7 will cover that one. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So there's nothing wrong with God's law. Let's establish that right up front. We love God's law. Oh, how I love thy law, says the psalmist. It is my meditation all the day. We love the law of God. We could have added, if I wanted another word in there, the word profitable, because all of God's law fits under the rubric of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and that says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or it's God-breathed, and is profitable. And I'll leave you to remember how the verse goes on. So this, is, this law is holy and righteous and good and spiritual and perfect, and we could could have added profitable. So don't diss God's holy law. Don't say, ooh, that's law. I don't have anything to do with that. Don't get unhinged from your Old Testament. Don't throw it away. Don't only read the New Testament. No, it's profitable for you to read through Deuteronomy and Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the, and the whole thing. So what we find in Deuteronomy, all those laws, that's good. Let's go to point number two now. How am I doing? I got to keep an eye on my time today. Number two, but let's clarify that the law was never intended as a means of salvation. So all the laws you run into the, in the book of Deuteronomy, not one of them was intended to save your soul. Not one of them was written and intended to lead you to saving faith in Jesus. Well, to lead you there, yes, but not to actually get you there. The law by itself, bare law, never saved one soul. 
All it did, we'll see later, is put them under a burden and put them under a curse and kill them. But the law was never intended as a means of salvation and turned that around. Salvation has always been by grace, through faith, in the revelation of God, which in our case is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, plus nothing. And we see that it started off by faith. Salvation did. Let's go to Genesis 15, 6, and we have Father Abraham, the father of the faithful, And how was he saved? By the law? No, the law wasn't even given yet in his day. Here's how he was saved. And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's always been how salvation is. It was rooted in the Abrahamic promise in those days, and Abraham believed what God revealed to him. He had a believing heart, not an unbelieving heart. And because of that, God saved him by the shed blood of Christ that would come a couple thousand years later, or almost a couple thousand years later. Or, again, the law was never intended as a means of salvation. That's made clear by Paul in Romans 3 and verse 20, where he writes, For by works of the law, no human being... All right, that's pretty categorical, isn't it? Can we squeeze one or two in there? No. No human being, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through law comes knowledge of sin. That's going to be a whole point. We'll see that soon. That's what the law did. So nobody ever got saved by the law. The purpose of the law was not here. Do this and you'll be good with God. No, they could never do it, and they never will be good with God by that. Paul makes that very clear. Or again, Paul in Galatians 2 and verse 16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Nobody ever was. Nobody was ever supposed to be. That wasn't the purpose of the law. Here here it is, keep it, you'll go to heaven. No, it was never that. But through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified, Galatians 2.16. So the law was never intended to be a means of becoming right with God. Here, I'll keep the law, and I'll please God, and he'll be happy with me, and I'll be righteous in his sight. Never, nobody, not since the fall. So, again, Galatians 2.21, Paul writes, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So, again, you see, Christ died for us because the law couldn't save us. The law only killed us. The law only slayed us before God. The law was never intended to be a means of salvation. So, so what we find in the book of Deuteronomy, where there's law and law and law, there's the land, go and take it, and when you get there, here's the commands, keep them. All these commands and commands and laws and statutes and ordinances, what are we to make of them? Well, don't make this. Don't make, if I keep them, I'll be right with God. You're not going to keep them. In fact, most of them that are there, half of them that are there, you're not even supposed to keep because they were civil laws and ceremonial laws for Israel when she was in the land. So here's what we do not have in the Bible, and I want to make this clear because there have been plenty of Bible teachers who have taught this thing, and I'm going to diss it for you. Hope you'll agree with me and not them. We'll see. But here's, here's what we do not have in the Bible. We do not have an Old Testament way of being saved, which was by keeping the law, and then a New Testament way of being saved, which is by grace through faith in Christ. Now, we have one way of being saved for all peoples and all times, and we find this in Father Abraham, the father of all the righteous, and he was saved by 
by grace, by faith, not by works of righteousness, which he had done, but according to God's mercy. So you have one means of salvation, one way of salvation for all people in all times and in all places. The law was never intended to save anybody. All right, then what does the law do? Now we're getting closer, point number three. So the law served to show us our sin. There's more purposes, this is one, we're breaking it out. What was the law for if it didn't save anybody? Well, here's a purpose that it definitely served. It served to show us our sin, to show us our need for grace and mercy. It made the sinfulness of sin stand out in bold relief. It made it appear as sin so we could identify it as sin. Ooh, I'm a sinner. I need the grace of God. That's what the law did. It served to show us our sin and still does. The moral law does. We see this in Paul, Romans 5.20. Now the law came in. Came in with what? With the Abrahamic promise. And with salvation through faith with Abraham. Now the law came in, what for? Here's a purpose statement. To increase the trespass. To show you, you're really a sinner. You don't know what a bad sinner you are. Here, let me open up the law and show you what a terrible sinner you are. The first night I ever heard the gospel in my life, I was 17, you've heard this too many times, I was in a pastor's study at the Church of the Open Door in Westminster with a few other buddies of mine, and we were in there, and the first thing the pastor did that night was he took us, he knew I was there, and I was pagan, lost, and all that, and he took us right to the Ten Commandments, and he showed me command by command by command how I had broken every one of them every moment of my entire life up to that point. And then he took us to the Gospel of John and took us to Jesus Christ and the cross, and I was led to Jesus Christ. But the law served and showed me its sin. It increased my trespass. Again, Paul says this in Romans 7, in verse 7, what then shall we say? Here's a summary statement. Let's gather everything I just, and put it in a proposition. What shall we say? That the law was sin? By no means. Here's a little Greek study for you, those of you who like little Greek studies. In the Greek, it's two terms. It's me ginoite. Me ginoite, which means may it never be. Perish the thought in various translations. And here, by no means. Is the law sin? No, don't be dissing the law like it's sin. Yet... If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin for, and he gives us a great example, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet, Romans 7, 7. Amen? Would you have ever imagined coveting is wrong if you were just out there imagining what's wrong? Like, you probably would have figured out lying's, lying's wrong, because I don't like it when people lie to me, and when they catch me lying to them, they don't seem to like it, and I got in trouble with my mom for lying. So you would have figured out lying and all the others, but who would have ever figured out that just sitting there wanting things with all your soul was wrong? That's what coveting is. It's, it's idolatry. It's making something a god and worshiping it. Who would have ever figured that out? Paul says, I wouldn't have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. The law served to show us our sin, sin like covetousness, for example, that might have been hidden from our eyes. Or again, Paul says more in Romans 7 about this, verses 9 through 11. Let's pause. Are you all hanging? I'm going fast. Are you all hanging in there with me all right? Do you want me to slow down? Say slow down. All right, you're nice. Okay, thank you. Bless you. I love you people. You like the Bible, don't you? When we get halfway through the message, we'll see if you still like the Bible. Yeah, all right, I think you will. Romans 7, 9 through 11, the, the, the law served to show us our sin. Paul says, I was once alive apart from the law. Now, what could that possibly mean? He was born Jewish, and he started training for the ministry, if you will, at a rather young age. What period in your life are you referring to, Paul? And I believe, I agree with those Bible students who say Paul's referring to a time when he was of such, of a, such an age that he really lacked 
critical thinking ability. He really lacked connection of mind and soul and heart, and he couldn't understand the things of God at a mature enough level that it would really have impact on his soul. So some might argue from this, and maybe they're right, I don't know, about a thing called an age of accountability. Paul was saying, he didn't call it that, but he's saying, there was a time when the law hadn't killed me yet. It really hadn't got through to my conscience. It hadn't come into my soul. But when the commandment came, when's that? That's when one day he was old enough and rational enough and honest enough with God that he allowed the law to really come in and search his soul. And what he found was evil and covetousness, for example. When the commandment came, when it came to him in the power of the Holy Spirit, when it came to him with burning, shining light, then here's what happened. Here's what the law did. When that happened, sin came alive and I died. The law served to show us our sin, or to put it another way from this verse, the law served to kill us before God. So we would die. So we'd recognize, I am dead in my trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. He goes on, the very commandment that promised life. You see that in Deuteronomy over and over again. Do this and live. Do this that it may be well with you and you may live long in the land. That very commandment, Paul says, Deuteronomy, that promised life proved to be death to me. I died and the commandment proved to be death to me. So as you're reading through Deuteronomy, as we're looking at the command, what you see on every page is death, death, death. Now remember, we're not dissing the law. It's holy, it's spiritual, it's profitable, it's all those things. But here's what it actually did. It left you dead when it was done dealing with you. It didn't leave you saved. It left you dead and needing to be saved. He goes on. For sin, seizing opportunity through the commandment, that's that thing about when you see the sign that says, wet paint, don't touch, right? That's what, that's what sin does with the commandment. It seizes that opportunity. Ooh, I'm going to stir up that desire in their soul now. Sin deceived me and through it killed me. So he says, I died. It proved to be death to me and it killed me. What do we find in the book of Deuteronomy? That's the law that we find in the book of Deuteronomy. No one was ever intended to be saved by it. It was made to show us our sin. Again, look at how Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 3 and 7 through 9. He says, now if the ministry of death What is the book of Deuteronomy? It is the ministry of death. I'm preaching to you a series on the ministry of death. We're working our way through a book that Paul calls the ministry of death. Deuteronomy was part of that. If the ministry of death, remember he just said, I died, it proved to be death to me, and it killed me. Now later he says in 2 Corinthians, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, so that's clear, we know what he's talking about there. If it came with such glory, it did, it was all over Moses and everybody, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, what do we have in Deuteronomy? The ministry of condemnation. So the the sermon series title could have been The Ministry of Death, The Ministry of Condemnation. That would have been real exciting, wouldn't it? You would have brought all your friends to come hear that one, wouldn't you? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. So the law served to show us our sin, and it left us dead. He says, I died. It was death to me. It killed me. It's the ministry of death. It's the ministry of condemnation. That's what the law does. Now, the law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law, but that's what it does when it comes up against the heart of a sin-deadened, blind sinner. It only produces death. In fact, that there's more. Let's pile up more on us here. So point number four for this morning, and the law brought bondage, or the word slavery. 
couple verses on that. You knew I was going to have a couple verses on that, didn't you? It, it, it brought slavery or bondage. Paul says this in Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, against the Galatian Judaizers who wanted to put you back under the law. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a, here's what he calls the law. What you have in Deuteronomy, here's, what, here's how Paul describes it. Don't submit again to a yoke of bondage, to a yoke of slavery. It's a yoke of slavery. If you're under Deuteronomy with no saving grace, no shed blood of Christ, no mercy from the cross, you're a slave. And it's just going to make you more and more a slave to sin. Wet paint don't touch. We see the same thing in uh, Peter's words in Acts chapter 15 at the great Jerusalem conference. The church leaders have gathered to decide on the, the burning question of the day. Shall we require Gentiles to be circumcised and keep the whole law? Do we want to send all the Gentiles to Deuteronomy and say, there's the law, do it? And the answer is no, we don't want to. And here's what Peter says, Acts 15, 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples? Notice his description, that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. He points at Deuteronomy and others as well and says that, that was a yoke on our neck and we couldn't even bear it. It was such a burden. Why do you want to put people back under that, he's saying? No, the Gentiles don't need to keep the law, and by implication, neither do the Jews. Again, Paul says this in Galatians, uh, Paul says this in Galatians 3.22, but the Scripture, so Deuteronomy, imprisoned. What, what did the law do? It put you in a prison. It put you in jail. It imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The law is the prison. Jesus Christ frees you from the prison and gives you grace. Again, Galatians 3.23. Now, before faith came, well, faith was always there. He means before it came in abundance, before it came with new covenant, new testament, Jesus has been on the earth, clarity. Before that, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So that's what the Old Testament law did. It made you captive, it imprisoned you, and it was only intended until, until Jesus Christ came. So listen to the terms that were in the verses just read. Bondage, yoke, slavery, captive, imprisoned. That's what you have in the book of Deuteronomy. It's really exciting that I'm going to be preaching that book to you now, isn't it? You're all thrilled, like, oh, when can we start? Just want to get into that. Well, there's a lot of other stuff in the book that's mainly what we're going to preach. But anyway, you know the hymn, the great hymn, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, might have come from these very verses, the idea of my imprisoned spirit. But as we saw, but when you come to Jesus Christ, hallelujah, you are freed from the curse of the law. You are made righteous by his shed blood. It is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and you're free. Thank God, in Christ you're free from the yoke of bondage. Every now and then, I have a believer. We had a man in this church. I'll use him as an example a couple years ago, and he came to, he was Jewish by background, but he was a believer in Jesus Christ, but he became, he became convinced that we all need to keep every bit of the Old Testament law in detail, and he was trying to spread that around here, and we had to say, no, brother, <laughs> not here. Sorry, not good. You can't just teach whatever you want to here. 
So the law brought bondage. There's more. Number five, the law was also powerless to change sin-deadened human hearts. It was powerless. It didn't have the power to regenerate you. It only had the power to kill you and convict you and show you sin. We get this from Romans 8, 3. For, what God, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. There's something the law couldn't do, but God has now done it. What is that? Reveal salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ. Wash you of your sins through Christ's shed blood. Now remember the law is perfect, it's righteous, it's good, it's holy, it's profitable, but it's powerless to change hearts. The law never regenerated anybody. The law never saved anybody. The law never made anybody right with God or righteous in his sight. The law comes and clarifies you're a sinner and you need Jesus Christ. And Paul says it could not do. That's why I said it's powerless. So here's a sinner. Let's put a sinner up right here. Here's a sinner standing next to me. And let's, let's take a law. You shall not covet. And let's put it on the sinner and see what he does. He says, ooh, now that the light comes to me from that, I see I'm in trouble. I'm a sinner. Now let's gather up every other law, every moral law in the book of Deuteronomy and pile it on this sinner right here. And what do you do? You kill him. You slay him. He dies. He's feeling condemned. That's what the law does. So that then you'll finally say, uncle, I need a savior. Uncle, I need mercy. And you'll come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The law was never intended to to change sin-deadened human hearts. Let's go on. Point number six. The law served temporarily as a guardian or a tutor to bring us to Christ. Now, I'm going to tell him myself, when I came over here this morning, I realized I had, when I reviewed my notes this morning, I had tutor spelled wrong. I spelled it with a D. That's like what, English monarchy or something, the tutor people, yeah, something like that. And, and so I realized, oh, wait a minute, I think that's wrong. So I'm glad I changed it so you wouldn't know that I made that mistake. And uh, we fixed it back there. Now it's tutor. That's the person that gets the child to school in Greek culture, which is what Paul's used to, and also might be the teacher. So the law served temporarily as a guardian or tutor to bring us to Christ. Where do we get that? Galatians chapter 3, 24 and following. So then, another summary statement. He's been teaching, teaching, teaching. Now let's summarize what I just said. Here's the summary. So then, the law was our guardian or tutor until Christ came. You see the until? It was temporary in its duration. Its intention was this is in force only till Jesus Christ comes. And what purpose did it serve till Jesus Christ comes? It was our, Israel's, guardian, our tutor, in order that we might be brought to Christ and there justified by faith. But now that faith has come clearly through Jesus Christ, we are no longer under a guardian. All right, that's pretty plain. We are no longer under a guardian. That guy that was here and wanted us to all be under the guardian in minute detail. I was like, which part of that do you not understand? We are, we are not under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Galatians 3, 24 to 26. The law served temporarily as a guardian to bring us to Christ. Again, Romans 10, 4. For Christ is the end of the law. The word end is the Greek word telos. So it's the goal, it's the destination, it's the purpose. What's the law supposed to do? Take you to the purpose, take you to the end, take you to the telos, take you to Christ. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, Romans 10.4. So what do we have in Deuteronomy? We have a law 
that was serving temporarily as a guardian over a people, as a tutor to a people, to bring them ultimately to Jesus Christ. And the law, the moral law of God still serves that same purpose in our day. All right, so I'm going to back up for a minute, take a breath. Take a deep breath with me. Are you still with me? How many want more? Say more. Oh, I love you people. I'm worried about those of you who said nothing. All right. Maybe you're getting convicted under the law. I don't know. So now it gets better. That's all what the law didn't do so well for us because of our weakness. Now we come to some more overt statements about what's our relationship to that law. And here it is, number seven. Jesus Christ came to redeem us from and to free us from the law. That's one of the purposes he came for. The purposes are stated in various ways. He came to save sinners, of whom I am chief, and many other ways. But here we're taking this one. Jesus Christ came to redeem us and to free us from the law. Listen to Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. You were slaves, he came to redeem the slaves. You were in bondage, he came to make you free. You were killed and slain and you were dead by the law, searching light in your soul. He came to give you life. He came to buy you back, that's what the word redeem means, to buy you back out of that slavery, out of that bondage, out from underneath that yoke. And that's why Paul also writes in Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's Deuteronomy. What could be more clear? You are set free from the bondage, from the yoke, from the slavery to the laws and statutes and ordinances as you find them on page after page after page in the book of Deuteronomy. So it's still the word of God. It's God breathed. It's valuable. It's profitable. It's good and holy and righteous, but it's not going to make you a Christian. And in fact, by itself, all it does is kill you. And Christ came to free you from that death. Let's go to point number eight. How am I doing? Now we're getting there. All right. Point number eight. And furthermore, Jesus Christ fulfilled the law for you if you're in Christ. He fulfilled the law for his people. That is to say, there is this thing that theologians call, there are these things that theologians call Christ's active obedience and Christ's passive obedience. What was his passive obedience? That's when he died on the cross and passively absorbed all the wrath of God due for the sins of sinners. They call that his passive obedience. He wasn't, he was absorbing, he was receiving something passively as God heaped it upon him. What's Christ's active obedience? That is every moment of his entire life on earth, he perfectly kept all of God's commandments according to the word of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. What's, why does Christ's active obedience matter to me? Because here's what happens when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. His obedience is reckoned to you, and God sees you in Christ as having kept every command because Christ kept them for you. He fulfilled the law for you. And his passive obedience is this, all your sins are placed upon him. So there's this great transaction. You get his righteousness. He gets your sins. He dies and bears them in his own body on Calvary's tree. And Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. And where do we see that? Well, just follow him around in the gospels. 
But I love this part where he says in John 6, 38, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Can you say that? Can anybody hear? Yeah, I've always done the things that are pleasing to God. No, we'd be far from that, wouldn't we? Only the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, kept every commandment of God spotlessly, perfectly, forever, so that he can summarize his life saying, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law for you. Hallelujah. Thank God. It was a burden that neither we nor our fathers could bear. It was a yoke of bondage. It was slavery. You don't want to be back under the law. And now we're going to come to what's probably the most important point I've made. So if you're getting a little bit bleary, if you're, if you're dozing off, take a deep breath with me again. Okay, you're ready to plunge into what's the, the most important point I want you to hear this whole time. And here it is. It's coming up right now. Point number nine, new covenant believers are not under the law. There. I said it. Period. End of paragraph. Close the book. Done. Categorically, plainly, no confusion, no exception. New covenant believers are not under the law. If you're a new covenant believer, and you wouldn't be an old covenant believer, they all died a long time ago. So if you're a believer, you're a new covenant believer, and you are not under the law, let me show you this. Romans 6, 14. Bunch of verses here, because this is important. We're doing systematic theology of the place of the law in the life of a new covenant believer. New covenant believers are not under the law categorically. Where do you get that, Pastor Steve? Romans 6, 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Hallelujah. Thank God. It must have been terrible to just be under law. The burden of the crushing weight of the law pressing down on you all the time, killing you. But we're not under law. We're under grace. What could be more clear? So as you, we go through Deuteronomy, and there's law and law and law. There's the land. Go and take it. Here's the law. Go in and keep it. And I can't keep it because I'm a sinner and I fail. The burden of the law, but we're not under the law. Romans 7, Paul really makes this point in verses 4 through 6. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, there it is again, wet paint don't touch, they were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. There's what the law did again. It bore fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. New covenant believers are not under the law. Can you stand a few more verses on this one? This is a key point. Can you, ma'am? Be all right? A few more? You, ma'am? All right? A few more? All right. Just had to find out. Galatians 3.24, so then, summary statement. The law, we already saw this, but now we're seeing it again in different light. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. The law had a stop date intended from the beginning. The law was put in place until the Messiah came. In order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, now that Messiah has come, now that the gospel is plainly proclaimed, we are no longer under a guardian. 
Again, Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So new covenant believers are just not under the law. You want to hear a stanza and the refrain from a good old hymn. It was written in 1871 by a man named Philip Bliss. If you're going to be a hymn writer in the kingdom of God, not a bad name to have. Your last name is Bliss. And he wrote this good old hymn. It's from the Moody Sankey era. So it's kind of, if we sang it, it's like follow the bouncing ball tune going on here. But it's some good words with one wrong word in it. So here it is. I'm putting it up for you. Anybody know this one? Free from the law, oh happy condition. Jesus hath bled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall. Grace hath redeemed us once for all. Once for all, oh sinner, receive it. I've been singing this song in my head for days. Once for all, oh friend, now believe it. Cling to the cross. The burden will fall. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. Oh, happy condition. Joe, do you know that song? I caught you. First time ever. That's amazing. What's the one part I don't like in that song, by the way? Bruised by the fall. Bruised? You kidding me? That was only a bruise? I think we were killed by the fall. I think we died. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Bad theology. Stinking thinking. But anyway, I like the song anyway if we fix that one word. So, new covenant believers are no longer under the law. We are freed from it by the grace of God. Now, point number 10. We're getting close. Hang in there. You're almost done. New covenant believers are, however, under the law of Christ. So we don't want to fall in the opposite ditch. Over there is the legalism ditch. I'm under all the law. It's a burden. Nor do we want to swing over and fall in the opposite ditch, which we call antinomianism, nomium, namas, law, anti-law. We don't want to be in the Yahoo! I'm in Christ. There's no laws. I'm free to just do what's in my heart. Oh, that's a very bad thing to do if you want to follow Jesus Christ. No, we're under the law of Christ. Not under the law of Moses, but under the law of Christ. Where do you get that? 1 Corinthians 9.21. To those outside the law, when he's preaching the gospel and evangelizing, I became as one outside the law. And then he puts in parentheses, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. What's he clarifying? I don't want you to think I'm lawless. Don't want you to think I'm a guy with no commandments. Don't you want you to think I'm a guy who's antinomian? No, I, I'm, I'm not outside the law of God, but I'm under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. 1 Corinthians 9.21, we are still under the law of Christ. Christ who in John 14.15 said, if you love me, you will keep my, what's the next word? Commandments. Believers who love Jesus Christ have commandments. Lots of them. They're just not the Mosaic ones. It's the law of Christ given us by Christ and his apostles. And again, we, we find in the Great Commission, Jesus says, go therefore, Matthew 28, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them what? Teaching them, Yahoo, you don't have any commandments, so just do what's in your heart and have a good time. No, 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 no teaching them to observe all that I, Jesus Christ, have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's what we're supposed to be doing, teaching the people, Christ commands this, do it. Christ, you're in the church, here's the commandments, do them. 
You're saved by grace. Now here's commandments. Here's how he wants to shape your life. By the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God, keep these commandments. Render evangelical obedience. A quick point number 11. The clock tells me I have one minute and eight seconds left. We're not going to make it. So I'm going to shorten things a little bit here at the tail end. I want you to know also number 11 point today. Old covenant moral laws reemerge in the new covenant. So you understand don't that, don't you? There were things in the book of Moses that are moral. There's civil laws, there's ceremonial laws, and there's moral laws. Moral laws don't change because they're rooted in the nature of God. So in the old covenant, you have a moral law, uh, you shall not covet. Guess what? That reappears in the, new, in the new covenant law, you shall not covet. In the old covenant law, you have children obey your parents. This is the first commandment with a, with a promise. Where did he get, where's that from? Where's Paul get that? He gets it from there. The, the moral law carries over. Anything that's moral in Deuteronomy is still intact. The tricky part is figuring out, all right, what's civil? That's not for us. What's ceremonial? That's not for us. What is genuinely moral and lasts for us? Just give you a little hint. Interesting thing if you want to study it. That's where the question of is the Sabbath commandment for believers today? And some would say it's a moral law, and others would say, no, it's never repeated in the New Testament. In fact, several passages seem to repeal it in the New Testament. They tell you, don't let anybody take you captive to ordinances like the Sabbath law. So, so many of us believe, I believe, that no, actually the Sabbath is not part of the moral law that abides for all peoples in all places and in all times. You get to have a different view on that if you want. We'll be friends, okay? But I might stop for gas on the way home on a Sunday, and you might not. All right. So quickly on that one, final point. You made it, verse, final point, number 12. And new covenant believers, by the way, have the moral law written on their hearts. This is you if you're in Christ, Jeremiah 31. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. We're in this covenant. He's about to describe, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. You see the contrast with the tablets written with the finger of God in stone that went inside the Ark of the Covenant for storage. No, not that. It's going to be my law written on their hearts. And so new covenant believers have the moral law written on their hearts. So there you have it, a quick theology of the law and the new covenant believer. You all look like, I don't think anybody died. You all look like you made it. So I've been the professor, you've been the student, there's going to be an exam, but good word is it's not till the last day, all right? There is an exam at the last day, probably won't have this on it. I'm going to close with three do's, three don'ts and two do's. I'll just go through them quickly, here they are. Please do not put one millionth of an ounce of trust in your law keeping. Please don't imagine that I can be good and please God. No, you're a sinner, you need Jesus Christ to be your righteousness. Call upon the name of the Lord. Point number two, please do not take what you've heard today and fall into the ditch of antinomianism. Please don't go all, yahoo, I don't have any laws. I'm free from the law. I can just do what's in my heart. Now your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Please don't follow your heart. Please put yourself under the law of Christ and by the Spirit of God render evangelical obedience and seek to keep the commandments of Jesus Christ by grace. Three, please do not lose heart when you fall and break Christ's law. 
I want to remind you there is a fountain that is open for sin and uncleanness, and sinners are invited to go there. There is a throne of grace. Every time a redeemed believer goes to the throne, it's a throne of grace. What will you find there? But grace, it's always a throne of grace and mercy to you when you go there. No matter how badly you messed up, you go crawling back to God in the name of Jesus Christ, and it's a throne of grace and a throne of mercy to you. And point number four, please do love God and his moral law with all your heart. Give you a sneak peek into next week's sermon. Next week's sermon is going to be like looking at a whole bunch of different passages in Deuteronomy where God's dealing with our hearts, our hearts, our hearts. That's next week. Please do love God and his moral law with all your heart. And number five, please do let God's moral law drive you to the cross. It's valid to use the law of God in evangelism. It's entirely valid to show sinners in bold relief their need for Jesus Christ. And if you've never come to Christ, may the law of God, go look at the Ten Commandments. You've broken all of them all your life. May the law of God drive you to the foot of the cross where you find salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Three minutes and 57 seconds over. Not too bad. Would you bow with me, please? Father, thank you for this time in your holy word. Thank you for the grace of God, your grace that is given to us through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. We pray that men and women, boys and girls, who hear this message would have the law to drive them to Christ, where they find pardon and redemption for sinners. And Father, thank you that we are blessed to understand that we are blessed to be freed from that yoke from that bondage, from that killing burden, from that ministry of death and condemnation. Thank you and hallelujah, Lord Jesus, that we've been freed from the curse of the law and made right with God through you, through faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.